the big thing for me, you know, being a person who travels as a baller a lot as well, is I, I don't want someone, you know, coming from Victoria or South Australia or WA or New Zealand or around the world flying in so they can play four points or four matches. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Down Under Paintball. This week we're up to episode 007, so I thought that this music was more than apt for this episode. This week I'm sitting down and chatting with a great mentor of mine, Michael Wybrew, owner of Action Paintball Games in Rouse Hill, Sydney, also runs the Super 7 series that has the great webcast that I get the opportunity to work on as well. We cover topics such as how Mike got into paintball and the reasons behind why he pushes so hard to make the Super 7s the great event it is. Just a little bit of a heads up, I had a little technical issue halfway through the episode so it dropped out, uh, but bear with us. So thanks everyone again for tuning in. This is Scott and you're listening to Down Under Paintball. Welcome everyone to another episode of Down Under Paintball. Joined today with the godfather of paintball himself, Michael Wybrew. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> hey Scotty, how you going? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's uh, trying times at the moment with all this virus stuff going on, but yeah, we're getting through it. it, it. it, it certainly is, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, you know, we're not the only industry that's... Uh, really been kicked in the guts by it, I suppose. It's, yeah, everyone's in the same boat. Yeah, well, hopefully we can... Uh, uh, yeah, it's hard as you want to mean. In stressful times, nothing more fun than to go and grab your paintball marker and go run around and uh, have shoot around with your mates and relieve some stress, but we can't do it. <laughs> well, that's it. At least tonight, maybe we can uh, bring up some old memories and help take our mind off uh, of all the, all the stuff that's going on in the world. I suppose, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I think about sometimes now, like, we start to about old memories. Some of my memories predate the age of the average player. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. Um, yeah. I, I, played, I played paintball first time, like, 1987. There you go. Uh, 1987. Yep, so before you were born. <laughs> yes. Well, Thank you for that, more Scott. about that. <laughs> Um, well, actually, interesting. Um, yeah, I suppose uh, I was a, a young fella back then, and uh, my flatmate one day came to me uh, after work. We're sort of sitting around having a cold beer, and he's going, oh, Michael, Michael, we've got to try this war game thing. You know, you want to give it a go? And I was like, what are you talking about? Never even heard of it. And he sort of gave me a brief rundown, and, you know, do these air rifles that shoot a, a paintball and, uh, you know, the hitch in you out, wear these goggles and, I thought, wow, this sounds awesome. This sounds really cool. And uh, so uh, back then it was uh, – I won't say it was illegal because that would be wrong because it was – it was sort of like un, un, it was an unknown pretty much from what I can understand. The police didn't care about it as long as no one complained. So, um, yeah, basically we, we had to book in like weeks and weeks. We had to meet this guy up the central coast and it was all – it's almost like a drug deal, you know. We had to meet the guy at this at, at McDonald's at, at Coffs Harbour. There, it's not Coffs Harbour, at uh, Gosford. Sorry, off just off the freeway. So we pull up, and there was uh, you know, three of us in the car, and this guy's this Hilux across the car park. He comes, out, he's got camo pants. 
So we get out, oh, hey, like, you, you know, you guys here for the skirmish, you know, looking over his shoulder. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we sure are. And we went up. There was, I think there would have been about six or seven of us. They had the old bolt action paintball guns, you know, the, like the KP-1 rifles. And uh, for people who don't know about those, they're, they're a, a rifle that has a little 12-gram cartridge inside, like your soda bowl ones, and it's hardwired, and you have to refill it, continue your gas with CO2. And the gun has two barrels, and it's like a tube just below, which is, it looks like a double barrel, but it's actually the, the tube on the side holds 13 paintballs. And uh, we're using a bolt-action cocking mechanism literally you shoot a shot you bring the bolt up you lift the gun upward you sort of give it a bit of a twig sometimes you had to kind of push the next ball in because the the, the tube that held the paintballs was slightly lower than the barrel and uh so yeah you take take about three or four seconds to reload a shot you'd get about 20 paintballs out of a single fill and then you'd have to go all the way back up to hq and regash your gun and uh, I, I remember playing like that a, f- a few times uh, for the first two years or something like that because I remember I played the first time and then we the guy disappeared. And it wasn't until he sold the gear to some guy in Wallachia and then we found out about it again. That, uh, yeah, I think I think if you shot 50 paintballs back then, you were like some mad guy. Like, what? You shot 50 shots? Are you insane? And I, I remember, too, coming back, playing with bolt actions, all your stomach was like all cramping uh, at the end of the day and the next day because you spent most of your time on the stomach crawling and dragging your legs. You didn't stand up or anything like that because of the nature of the game. It was all sniper. Yeah, it's um, slower than it is so, these days. Oh, yeah, we'll put it this way. Yeah, if you were being a sniper sitting there and two guys come walking down the track, you couldn't shoot them because if you <laughs> shot one, and by the time you went, you know, like, so you got tonk and then you got to pick the gun up and you're trying to cock and get that little ball across into the other chamber, um, the other guy just run up and go tonk and shoot you. <laughs> so, it was, <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of people go, oh, they, they, they weren't really accurate. They weren't really cool. They were, they were rubbish guns, but had a mad time. Absolutely fell in love with it. And, you know, we just wearing these UVX goggles, um, uh, just like welding goggles, I suppose. That's what you wore. And uh, I remember the, the the first time we played, the, the operator, he because the numbers were loads, I think it was like seven or something. So he jumped in to make the teams even. And I remember he got shot point blank, blank in the face and it busted all his lip. <laughs> and uh, we're like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> well, because back then we didn't have cronies or anything, right, you know. What he did, uh, was it Murray was his name, I think? He'd throw a Coke can down, and as long as he didn't punch a hole in the Coke can, <laughs> it's sweet. <laughs> you know, Maybe we should bring that cool. back. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, punch a hole in a cocaine was the real – because they just had a little Allen kit at the back to adjust the velocity. Uh, how accurate I don't know about that with the velocity adjustment. But, yeah, that's, that was the trick. You've had the cocaine, you shoot it. If it didn't punch a hole in it, she's good to go. Um, so then, yes, so he shut down, and uh, about 12 or 18 months later, then uh, one of my mates is going, oh, the, you know, he's, this guy sold his guy at Wallachia. You want to go and play paintball games? It's like, hell yeah. And, and uh, just started playing it there. It got to the point where I was almost going out – almost every Sunday to play. I was a full addict. And this is the old bolt taxing guns. And then uh, one day I invited one of my friends from work to come. I was in the shoe industry at the time. And he goes, oh, you mind if I bring a couple of friends as well? I said, yeah, sure, man, more the merrier. So it was like for two weeks' time. And somehow in two weeks, these guys had managed to go shopping. And I remember we pulled up, you know, this is back, you're just wearing, you know, just wearing whatever clothes and a pair of UVX goggles. These guys turn up in the Subaru and they hop out and they're wearing Tiger Stripe BDU shirt and pants. 
Yeah. Uh, they've got the wristbands that hold 10-round tubes. They even bought their own paintball markers, and they were these um, Tipman SL68 Mark 1s, the very first pump-action Tipman gun to hit the market. And this is like around the early, mid-1990s, right? And uh, these four guys, it's all a matter of perspective, right? These were pump-action, slow pump-action guns with a 7-ounce CO2 tank, so they could shoot three to 400 shots before you need to regas. And they had a 40-round magazine on the top with a little flip lid, and you could refill it 10 balls at a time with the tubes that are on your wrist. Anyone seen an old paintball magazine would, would see this sort of stuff. Well, during the day, there was about 35, 40 guys there on the day, four guys with SL-68 Mark 1s, and everyone else with bolt-action rifles. And uh, by half through the day, everyone was referring to the SL-68s as the machine gunners. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys on each team lay waste. Raped us hard all day. It was it was amazing. And, of course, you know, talking to them, they went, oh, yeah, we bought our guns up this place up in Queensland, and – as soon as we found about that, a whole bunch was like, yep, on the Monday, rang the gentleman up in Queensland. Uh, Timmy ordered uh, – we ordered 10 paintball markers the first time, and so the arms race began. And that was the that was the very beginning of the core that was going to become the original Sydney SWAT. And that's how simple it started. Just two of the two of the boys that had all their own gear, Steve and Rob Hughes, the two brothers – they, they were two of the original guys on the team as well. They came, joined the team, started playing all the time because they brought this gear, obviously. Um, and this all predates the internet too. So I was just amazed. These guys had found where to get guns from and they, they imported all their camo gear from the States and everything. Well, what did what uh, the guns set you back around those days? One of those uh, I think we paid a Tipman. I remember because we, we, we ended up buying 10 Tipman 98s, SL9, SL68, sorry, SL68s. And the first weekend, two of the guys couldn't make it. They were away. And so we've turned up. We're playing with our guns. Oh, this is un- these are unreal. You know, it's great. We've got our own pump action. It's got the firepower now. And then the following weekend, because we're right into it now, the following weekend, the two guys come back, and they open up. They pull out their gear. And what the hell have you got? Well, two of them had gone up to Queensland for holidays, gone straight and seen the uh, Paintball Australia and gone, oh, and saw that they had all these other paintball guns there. <laughs> so they traded their brand new Tipman SL68s back in and bought, I think one bought a Bushmark, another one bought a Ranger. Pump action still. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, the hell? What the go? So on Monday, ring up uh, Paintball Australia, Tim, said, wait, what's, you didn't tell me, well, you didn't ask. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so, yeah, Vaughn started buying, and yeah, yeah, just from there it sort of started, you know. And then back then it was so early, there was literally like a, I mean, look, all the gear back then, with the exception of the Tipman, because the early 68s were Tipman's uh, SLCS were, were a really reliable gun made for rental. Um, most of the stuff back then was rubbish, right? You know, so you're always buying a new gun. There's a new gun coming every second week. Hoppers went from 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 round to 90 round, 100, 100 round, 120, 140, and then 200 round. And I felt like I was buying a new hopper every second week just because bigger, 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 bigger. Um, so oh, yeah, it's a lot, of, a lot. Yeah, just yeah. yeah, just the tube, you know, canister basically. Yeah. Um, and then I think the Indian Springs are the one they brought out the first. And they had the little channel in the back of them, you know, the old Indian Spring XL two hundreds. Um. Yeah, yeah. So they had a little bit of a channel. So on, a, you know, in the semi-autos, it just started coming out now. The sixty-eight Tipman sixty-eight specials, the mighty PMI three, both rubbish guns. But in the time, hey, semi-auto man, wow, 
and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's just like the arms race we're just being new stuff, new stuff all the time. New companies coming, new companies going. Um, lots of uh, new markers coming out in the magazines. A lot of them didn't eventuate eventually. You know, with big promises of super performance that just didn't exist. It really wasn't until like you know the two thousands that you know I think that paper sort of evolved with the gear overall. How was it like getting, you know, getting your hands on the guns back then? Was it was it something that was easy to do, or was it still a grey area for a while as well? Originally, while it was a grey area, yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't difficult. You could just go to Queensland and buy one. You know, as long as you didn't do the, you know, didn't do anything stupid with the damn thing. There's no drama. And then uh, once we got to I think about '93, when we finally got it legalised, then yeah, we were just like super strict on the rules. You know, this is what it was. The guns had to stay at the field. Um, had to be stored in an armory, all that sort of stuff. Um, we had originally we had a fair bit of flexibility, you know, so we could take guns from one field license and go and take it to another venue and play. So you know, people could have their guns, their personal paper markers on our license, and then say there was an event at Heartbreak Ridge or Lithgow or whatever, we could take all the guns quite legally to there. It wasn't until I think late two two thousands that someone in the government in the registry decided, oh, no, the guns can't be transferred or used anywhere other than the field that they're approved for. That's it. End of story. Well, they just come out of the out of the woodwork for no reason. But by then, we had private ownership. We got that legalised. So it didn't really matter. People could get their licence now and, and, you know, take paper. The fingers you have used to dial are too fat. To obtain a special dialing wand, please mash the keypad with your palm now. You were, yeah, we're talking about the legality. Um, yeah, so we've had a lot of uh, law changes come, uh, and we've had wins and losses. I mean, uh, we had it legalised for about, what, three, four years, and then we lost semi-autos for importation. I mean, that kind of sucked after the Port Arthur massacre. I mean, you could still, not that you know, I'm against handguns or anything, but you could still bring in handguns, but you couldn't bring in a paint, semi-automatic paintball gun because some some muppet, there's no other word for it, some muppet in the AG department in the late 90s decided, oh, well, we're going to ban this, this, and this from importation because of the terrible tragedy that was Port Arthur, and we'll just throw paintball guns in there as well, which really sucked because you know that's when the semi-autos really started to come into you know really nice cockers and mags and that were really coming to fruition then 96 97 98 and then early 2000s you had the the electronic guns like the shockers and um, the angels and stuff like that and i mean the original shoebox shockers and uh, the new ventures shocker Um, and we you know we, we that was so difficult and hard to get in australia so, um, you know, a lot of teams in the late 90s were going back to using pump guns or cockers. Cockers and mags because they could be brought in legally as a pump gun and then converted legally here as a semi-auto. If it wasn't okay. for those two, we would have been really stuffed. Yeah, so so was that something that um, you, you had to buy, like, the uh, conversion kit or something like that and ship it over? Yeah, you, you, had to pay so, you had to pay someone to make the cocker back into a sniper or you could just buy a sniper uh, pump gun um, or but the mag was more expensive because the mag the pump kit from auto mag was really expensive and so well uh, yeah the only real proper way to do it to do it legally was to 
have the gun made into a pump gun, a fully working pump gun, and then bring it over and then convert it over. Um, so, you know, and of course that was only two models of, of paintball marker that you could do it with. There was a lot of other ones that had come out, like the Day States and quite a few other type blowback type uh, paintball markers. You know, cheap, effective. I mean, you know, and, and of course Australian paintballers had to pay through the nose. I mean, if you know, if you, you know, to have someone convert a gun to a pump gun over in the States, um, you know, cost money, cost made it more expensive. And uh, yeah, mate, everything just was a lot more expensive for Australian paintballers, and the people bringing the guns in to sell them. They're really ch- challenging. And it was was it the same the countrywide or like was it different state? Yeah, state? all over Australia. It was a federal thing. Was, you know, the ban was federal, so um, you know you you're really limited. I mean, I can't speak for everybody in the industry, but for us, it was really challenging. And, and I mean, look, even when I think when we went over to World Cup, and that would have been in France in '99, I think it was off memory. Now I'm going to sound like Ringo. I can't remember what day of the week it is. But back in 1999, we played the very first uh, uh, World Cup with the SUP Air Bunkers. And, uh, you know, we've we've gone over there and we're all running autococcus because <laughs> that's the only we'd use. And then we could compare them back to pump to bring them back into Australia. You know, otherwise you'd take your gun out of the country and you wouldn't be able to bring it back with you. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where people started running around with angels and, and shockers and stuff like that. So, you know, here we are shooting mechanical guns against guys with electronic guns. <laughs> yeah, which is a, you know, a bit Cup. of a challenge. I mean, you know, yeah, World Cup. And, yeah, we, yeah. We, we played pro in that event too. That was really cool. So, um, And that was with SWAT still in? Yeah, with SWAT. Yeah, with yeah. SWAT. So, so you, you know, you said that SWAT started, you know, from you guys showing up and, uh, and just yeah, playing all much. the time. We, just like- made a, we, we made a ring together team back in 1991. You know, we're sort of just running games, and a couple of guys said, oh, there's a, there was a tournament going to be made up. Uh, it was actually an exhibition tournament for the New South Wales government, right? So the guys running the old paintball association back then, who, uh, let's just say we're, we're idiots, um, uh, they had the opportunity to run a demonstration event to show the New South Wales government that paintball is a safe sport and it's good and we should legalise it. I didn't know that at the time because I'm just some guy who's just playing paintball. I'm just a player. So we made together a ring together team, which as a whole, we hadn't actually played an event together ever or trained together. You know, a couple of guys here, a couple of guys there. And uh, I suppose a sign of the times back then, you'd only find in paintball. We went to this, it was a 10-man event. The police were everywhere. There were all these guys with chevrons and stuff. There was no condoms, no safety areas it was terrible and uh the negative side it was the the police went away from that thing going no way this sport's not it's too dangerous it's it's, it's silly and they that's put, put us back a couple of years to get the sport legalized uh brian dixon if you're hearing this mate you're an idiot so anyway that was the old president um there you go. but uh well yeah i mean but it was it was a bit of a bit of a knuckle anyway i said we went went to this event we won every game from start to finish and came away with second place and yeah, okay. That was the beginning of <laughs> I know. And we I think we, we won the final game against the Screaming Phantoms in South Australia. We had like six guys left on the field. We've come in, congratulations, blah, 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 blah. And I think I've told you about this before where literally um, the arguments went on for about two hours until it was dark. I gave up. Our vice captain went and argued for a bit. Um, they were saying they wrote the wrong score down. It's like, well, there's no real problem here. They know we won because we beat them. They're all in the dead box. We're, we've got six guys alive. It wasn't even close. Um 
but thus the screaming phantoms were quite happy to take the first place and go away and um yeah it was uh my first taste of paintball nearly made me quit it i gotta be honest because i've you know played sport all my life and i just thought yeah you serious <laughs> yeah i mean to me i could not in good faith take a first place trophy having lost to the other team that would just i can't do that but obviously there's people in in the sport that can yeah it wouldn't mean and, much uh, yeah. yeah 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 well at least we can agree on one thing that a lot of things in paintball might have changed but uh things yeah, like that. Oh, yeah <laughs> definitely well, that's, that's been one of the big things i've tried really hard with with my input into the sport is to get the sport uh more sensible you know getting rid of the referees that think they're gods getting rid of referees think they run the events and just having it that you know like it just should be like every other sport the rest of there enforce the rules and well to be fair too with that what i didn't know at the time this history is the promoter who's that brian idiot and one of the players on my team uh who i didn't know very well but it was a nice guy he had a blood feud with each other over here. One was married to the other one's sister and divorced her or something like that. Anyway, so it wasn't, I think, really a case of burning SWAT because of us for a change. Well, for me, which would normally be the case, but it was a case of burning SWAT 100%, no way, because of uh, the other gentleman, Dirk, which was um, sad. So the other nine guys got punished for it as well. Um, but yeah, you know, that's one of the big things that you just can't have in this sport. People put a lot of effort and time into training, and, and especially in our days, I mean, they're bloody athletes. Um, you know, back then for us, the training session was don't drink so much the night before, you know, a bit of commitment to the team. Uh, whereas now these guys, you know, uh, going to the gym a couple of days a week and training and so forth. So, yeah, big difference. But, yeah, you know, you want to have it if you put the effort in that, you know, you're not, you know, you're not having the win gifted to the other team. And that's one good thing about the race two format that I do like. You know, you can get a bad call or an accidental bad call with a referee and, you know, still generally the better team will win. Yeah, and it's that's it it's it's the consistency of the team it's not even if you make a mistake you can come back from it so yeah, yeah absolutely uh, well, i mean you know, look at the super sevens the last couple of years man i mean talking about you know you just can't pick it now you know like you know i'm not going fast forward into the future now but the end result is there and i i feel for me personally with the events i've been doing since 1992 or no 91 actually december 91 rebel tour uh since 1991 to 2020, up until a couple of weeks ago, um, while we're still playing, you know, that's been my one single driving force is to, you know, to have that consistency. So when people come to one of our events, there's, there's an expectation, you know, whether I can't take responsibility for if it rains, pours, and places muddy or it's stinking hot, that's outside of my control. But having people know what to expect when they come to an event that I run. And, you know, the format now, I think, is, is it makes my job easier. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, you said that how you guys argued for hours after that event. And I remember back in the, the seven man days, the single point days, there was there was times mm-hmm. like that where, you know, someone would even if the ref did make a bad call or they made the right call, but someone didn't feel that they did. Oh, the arguments would just go right. on and on and on. So, yeah, it's it, now oh, the game. Yeah, we've, we've like both played. We've both played a lot of events where sometimes referees needed to be uh, asked to leave the property. Look, mate, you do you, you got nothing to contribute to this sport. You should pack your shit and leave. And uh, luckily, most of those, not all, but the vast majority of those sort of knuckle draggers are out of the sport. 
So yeah, well, that's a good thing. It's, and it's it's almost now like like how football works. That just the game has to keep going. Like you can yeah. make a bad call, yeah. you can have an argument, but the the next oh you know, yeah, refs make yeah, I just hundred percent refs make mistakes right in all sports and. Man, I, you know, you're up there with me with the webcast and with the webcast. You know, we see refs miss things every now and then. And you go, oh, doll. And, you know, we, as commentators, we'll be like, oh, you know, look at that over there, you know. And, you, you know, you don't want to play because they're only human. And, and not, they can't see everything that's happening. They might be looking at one thing and miss another that we see or not see. So, you know, there's a very big difference between making a, a bad call that just, you know, and being a dick. <laughs> and just wanting to, you know, punish someone because, you know, maybe 10 years ago when you were a player, you sucked and they beat you down all the time. So here's payback time. So, you know, but like I said, that, that's that's hopefully mostly a thing of the past. We don't have any of those sort of referees at our Super 7s events, that's for sure. So where did, uh, you know, from that that event where you, you got cheated out of the win, where did SWAT go to from there? What was the next few years like for... for um, well, we started playing a lot of... A lot of paintball. And uh, look, even the name SWAT, man, like, you know, originally when we were putting the team together, right, we're, we're never, I mean, I'm not police or anything like that. I don't know. The reason why we got the name SWAT is kind of a bit lame, right? We actually had a name, Deadly Vendetta, was the original name of the team. That would all, And some of the guys had drawn, you know, the, the old flying ball with the teeth on it, and, you know, this is all the – but this tournament came up with, like, two weeks' notice. Like, you know, oh, it's a tournament. Oh, yeah, we'll play. And – there was not, you know, there's no internet and stuff like that. And literally, I used to work, but my, my my old job in the shoes, uh, our head office was in Surrey Hills, and I was parking the car and I was walking past Surrey Hills. This uh, leather shop had all like lady and men's leather clothing and stuff. Normal, like jackets, not bondage. <laughs> yeah, right. I know yeah, exactly okay. what you're thinking right now, right? Yeah, <laughs> I was in this bondage shop. Anyway, really weird thing. I've walked past, and they had on the bench 11 patches that said sorting. Right, just a little, the little red, and weren't even the gold ones. They were just red, you know, and just has swat on top. You know, like the little shape, a uh, little, it's just a standard patch you'd buy in any disposal store. But they had eleven of them, and I've gone, oh, we need a team name. Ah, oh, we'll just, we'll just use that, you know. Who cares, you know? It's just an event, right? You know, just so the the weekend before, and again, a couple of guys had to give the patches to them because they couldn't make it out the weekend before. The rest of us had got them, and I said, look, just, and most of us were wearing rental overalls. You know, the overalls for our field. That's what we did. So we just sewed these patches on our overalls. The two Hughes brothers, they put those patches on their BDU tops. And we just thought, oh, we'll just use it for the name for this round and off we go. But but because we won every game from start to finish quite convincingly, even though we come second, um, we decided to keep the name. Just, uh, well, you know, we've got, to, we've got to win in our minds under our belt and uh, we've made a bit of a name for ourselves and um, – you know, yeah, so that's that's how the names – it wasn't like anything to do with the police or military or like that. It's just there was patches in a shop that I could use. It could have been anything <laughs> that's it was whatever. Yeah, whatever that yeah was it was just whatever. Yeah, yeah. If, it, if, it, if it had said the, the Broncos or, you know, the Warriors, and then we probably would have still been called the Warriors, you know. Like it's just, it was just a patch. So that's, yeah. So from there, yeah, we just started uh, – we went up and we played uh, an Australian Championships uh, – the up in Queensland at Top Gun Paintball. That was an interesting event. And uh, uh, we got second there. I think we, we did about our first three or four events. We got second, 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 second. And then we started to win and then a couple seconds. And for, the team was always, 
I've got to say, we've been pretty lucky um, having a field behind us all the time and me being pretty keen. They've had the ability to be able to play a lot. And I know back then, um, because I had a full-time job, I was pretty much playing twice a week. You know, my business partner, Tom, myself, we'd take turns. So I'd play on Saturday morning, he'd play Saturday afternoon, I'd play Sunday afternoon, he'd play Sunday morning. So we're both literally playing with the groups uh, for half a day every day. So that's what really helped my game. You know, other people are playing once a month or once every six weeks, and I'm picking up a paintball marker and shooting it twice a week. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, and then, yeah, literally the team started playing a fair bit, and then they became a real – a huge number of events to go play around New South Wales. It was always a tournament here or there. And Queensland had quite a few of their different fields. Um, with, you know, we'd always go up and play the South Packs every year uh, at uh, Paintball Australia with Tim McCarthy. And that was 10 men. That was limited to 16 teams. That was always sold out every year. Um, and we were doing our couple little events as well. So, yeah, there was always, I mean, you know, most years we were probably playing eight, maybe nine events every year minimum so a lot of lot of lot of lot of tournaments and uh the more we played the more we sort of did well and then i think the big thing for us is we went over we went over to the states uh for the mppl in 1994 san diego and that was a real steep learning curve because we were playing in because it wasn't cath back then so we just we, we we're playing in the pro division you know dave youngblood was the the ultimate you know the promoter of the event and and yet people like, you know, uh, Bob Long, Refine and stuff like, you know, guys, icon guys would, you know, run in the fields and stuff. So that was, that was a pretty cool event. And then we came back from that event and just won everything we played literally for like a year, just beat everybody. It so was guys just learned, like, you know, obviously learn everything from the, from overseas. Oh yeah. You go. It was, a, it was a, just, a, it was just such a different playing field over there, you know, and you're watching the other guys, you know, where, you know, we all used to run and hide behind big bunkers. These guys are running, you know, literally lie down behind a tuft of grass because the angle was right and, <laughs> you know, stuff you wouldn't think to live by. And, you know, so, yeah, you know, you learn. And, and you know, we got to play a lot of paintball. We got to train uh, for a couple of days beforehand with some of the, you know, with the Americans and stuff. Neil Martin, he was awesome. He hooked us up with all the gear when we were over there. It was so, it was so cool. Everybody just loves Neil Martin. I mean, back then, you know, he was such a superstar as well. But, um, you know, we got brand new Air America systems before most of the American pro teams. Uh, you know, we had all the latest smart mags from uh, the all from you know, smart parts. You know, um, we were going to the hotel, you know, picking up all the guns from uh, Adam Gardner. It was really cool. Uh, so yeah, you know, so yeah, we were all hooked up with all the gear. We came back, and it, actually, you know, funny thing too is we went over there. We we're a bit more prepared this time. So I made a decision instead of wearing a camo top, we got these long sleeve black shirts made. We just printed with, you know, Sydney SWAT up the arms and, you know, little logos of our sponsors and stuff like that on the shirts and SWAT and gold on the backs. So everything was black long sleeve shirts. So when we turned up over there, and you know, everyone's were wearing camos and we were wearing Oscam, uh, sorry, no, Realtree? Oz, I think it was Realtree pants. Yeah, Realtree pants and these black shirts, black long sleeve shirts. And then the weird thing was, you know, we had some of the Americans coming to come over to Australia playing in their masters and stuff like that. And it was really cool. Two things. When I went back over the following year to World Cup in Orlando, two things. One, there was – I gave the Americans – we had the uh, All-American team in 95 come out and play the Masters. And, you know, it was like Bill Gardner, Adam Gardner from All-Americans, Todd Adamson from Aftershock, Billy Saransky from Aftershock, 
Um, uh, yeah, there was just, uh, you know, Billy Stransky, who's now like one of the head buyers of G, uh, GI Sports. Uh, Danny Love, Danny Bonura, Heavy D. There was all these big pros. They made a 10-man team come over to Australia and, and, and won the Masters. And I gave them all these long sleeve shirts that said Mar- Australian Masters and stuff like that. So we were over the World Cup. And I'm looking at all these guys. There was limited edition purple ones and there was black ones. And all these guys were wearing my shirts from my field. It was really cool. And the other thing I noticed was all of a sudden, there was all these teams wearing black long sleeve shirts with all their logos and everything on it. I was like, wow, we started a trend. <laughs> trendsetters, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're trendsetters, yeah. Shitty Aussie team. We're trendsetters, mate. Yeah, it was pretty was cool. There many, was there many international teams playing that at the MPPL then or? Or were they mainly all just Oh, American? yeah, yeah. I, I remember, mate, it was, um, you know, it was a Kissimmee. Oh, how many teams at World Cup? Oh, they, they, it, it, was, it was like probably 150, 200 teams. It was massive. You know, teams from all over the world. So it's World Cup's always – World Cup's been big for years. You know, this is back when it was MPPL, then when PSB took over and, you know, NXL. You know, World Cup is always in Florida, you know, the biggest painful event of the year. I mean, the car park. The car park for the venue they had was just, you know, hundreds and hundreds, probably a thousand cars. It was crazy. So back then, it sounds like it really was a world World Cup, not just a North American World Cup. Yeah, well, I mean, pretty much every World Cup I've ever been to has been a World Cup. Like, you know, every World Cup, you know, I've been to quite a few now. Couple as a player, couple as uh, mostly as a spectator of recent years. But um, yeah, World Cup is World Cup. It's, it's aptly named. Yeah, sure, there's lots of American teams, especially in lower divisions, but, yeah, it's an international affair for sure. So uh, then, you you know, you said that the All-Americans were coming over. Was there, was that a trend as well? Did you get many American teams coming over? Yeah, we, well, yeah I said, we had the... We had the Americans come over uh, as a full team, and they then they, came, they started coming back as ones and twos. And in the early days... Um, Oh, I don't want to sound terrible, but in the early days, the the Americans coming over, kind of. I think they sort of felt like they were a bit bit of superstars when they really weren't. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you look now, guys like the Chad Georges and the Tim Montresses and Kyle Spicker, you know, Marcelo Maga. Yeah, they're all absolute gentlemen. They they are superstar ballers, but they're approachable. They'll talk to anybody, and they're just genuinely really nice guys and very good ambassadors uh, for their sponsors and, you know, their teams. In the early days, some of the Americans, well, I would just say they weren't quite like that. They're a bit standoffish and sort of, you know, come across not as nice. But uh, we certainly wanted the Americans to come over because I could see early on that, you know, they're just enough, they're a level up. And, I mean, back in the early days, you know, if we brought over an American, we'd pretty much win every game because we had the one American. You'd just win every single match you played no no, only single point but they were just such a strong dominating force um and over time that became less so now don't get me wrong even now you know i'd put you know someone like marcelo above any single australian baller you know or or, or spicker or or tim or chad you know they're all just freaking superstars um, but the impact that one player has now is not as big. And I probably think we saw that when – I know Ringo was talking about when Menace had actually had – they had like four guys one year come over, and they actually came fourth in the semifinals to Raw. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, so that was a few other things that maybe come into it. But, you know, people like Hostile Intentions and stuff like that and later on Envious started to show that, you know, Australian teams could win an event even though other teams had one or even two Americans on their roster. 
But the reality is teams like Envious and Hostile Intentions and that are better teams because of the Americans coming over originally. Everybody oh, yeah. in the pro oh, division yeah. is a better player thanks to the American superstars because they've come over and raised the bar over and over again. And, and I think Ringo mentioned too, you know, this is the problem you have. If you don't play with in the big pond, which is what Super 7s is in Australia, then your game will not get better. And you can see that by if you went and take a Super 7s team to any other event in Australia and they'll win. It's a level is so much higher than the people playing there in the pool. And I don't want people taking offence to it. But, I mean, that's why WA is so strong because teams like SDK um, were continually travelling overseas, playing in Millennium, playing there. So they come back and that just lifts the level up continually as well. So if oh. you don't have that input coming in, you know what I mean? So that's why, you know, Sydney's so strong. You've got a fair bit with Queensland because the guys that are playing in Super 7s, you know, uh, even in the semi-pro teams, you know, like uh, uh, they've all – picked up because it trickles down and WA paintball is quite strong even though they don't have as many teams it's quite strong predominantly because of and it's not just SDK there's a few teams from WA that do travel to Asia as well so that's bringing in new and it, it just is it's something which we picked up when us going overseas all the time. every time we come back from America or Millennium we just come back and just win continually well um, I remember you know, seeing that with us traveling to Malaysia, like in the early days of the Malaysian World Cup, we used to be able mm. to go over and, and we were sort of, it felt like we were just in the top tier because cause it was so new in Malaysia. But as they started bringing over Americans and, and they just leveled up so quickly that, mm. uh, yeah, that, absolutely. that really leveled up that, level out that playing field. Yeah, it's really good that the Asian leagues have, uh, have embraced having Americans come over and play on their rosters as well. Um, because it will, it just will make their game better. I mean, Asian paintball's always fast too. Those guys, I mean, some of their players are just so amazing, so so quick. Um, but yeah, you look up, you look. Uh, what was it? Uh, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. You know, Australian teams were going over and just dominating in the Asian leagues. You know, I mean, the year we come second at KL to Hostile. You know, it was like Australian teams were like first, second, fourth fifth and sixth I think it was you know like you know and I, I put a lot of that down to the fact that everyone was playing in the sevens playing against Americans continually so when you come over and play a league that doesn't have any Americans all of a sudden it's, it's awesome and yeah, back, well, back then, then you know the World Cup they weren't they weren't allowed to play yeah okay you know, at World Cup Asia that's right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 we were the so we yeah were well, the I, look you know the only thing we've done is we the only thing we've done is we put stop it from being an arms race cap on it where you know if you have one more than one you lose ranking points which artificially i mean it's terrible you know because we want them to come but obviously we can't have it that you know someone with deeper pockets can go you know like say have expendables or swat can just go oh yeah we'll just bring in four guys from heat or or four dynasty guys or you know you know four impact players and you know just win the series because then that would not be fair and that would take away from the event. So we we trying to we're trying to well I'm trying I'm trying to have my hand in both sides of you know making the sport get better more and more as quick as possible without actually making an arms race that you know teams that don't have as big a budget just can't compete. And I, you know when you look at that football has a salary cap and you know a lot of a lot of sports have the same sort of thing because to try and keep it that you know it's it's an actual competition and 
look, I really feel uh, the last couple of years we've really achieved that. Um, it used to frustrate me, even though you know SWAT's my team. You know, you were a captain of SWAT. I'm a, I was a captain of SWAT, and I, you know, I'm an owner of SWAT. For so many years, SWAT's either come first or second. And when they come second, they come second by two points. You know, uh, uh, yeah, in the Super Sevens before that, you know, it's always been SWAT and hostile, SWAT and menace. You know, SWAT and envious. It's always SWAT and somebody else. But the last couple of years, no. You couldn't put money on. I mean, look, even Eskimo Brothers, how awesome was that? Them winning round one was fan. And Eskimo Pros coming second, Tim Montressa. You know, I love Timmy. And seeing Tim with that second, I thought, yeah, that's that's really cool. Even though it's at the expense of um, my SWAT boys, I couldn't be happier for that final. That was just, you know, because I feel like SWAT, you know, it's like the SWAT with, uh, with you know, people like Tim. Tim put so much into that team and it, he played so awesome and seeing him finally get, because, you know, with the Eskimos and Eskimo Nation, you know, they've really been the whipping. They started off as the whipping boys in the pro division. They've worked hard to get where they are now. Credit to Jamie and, and Mr. Jones. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you now are... you can't yeah, tell. Just... who. I mean, who do you think is going to win? I mean, we don't have a round two at this stage, but if we were to have a round two right now, who would you think, you know, whereas before you'd be like, oh, look, it's, uh, it's envious or it's going to be SWAT or it's going to be, you know, uh, hostile intention or it's just going to be SWAT. And now, no, I couldn't tell yeah. you. I mean, I hope it's going to be SWAT, you know. I'm, I'm sure you do. Quiet, don't tell anybody. You know, <laughs> of course, you want to see him win everything. But the reality is, who knows, man? You know, like we're up the commentary booth going, wow, wow, some of the plays and some people are doing. And, you know, it, it is like literally, you know, out of the 10 teams, there's six teams that can all win the event on any given Sunday. And every yeah. finals is decided by bloody EDs because every event for the last two years has been that close where there's literally five to six teams vying for the last two, third and fourth places. Usually first and second, they'll be in by about a full point or something like that. Someone's got, you know, a good lead. And, uh, you know, and then even that, you look at Expendables last year, you know, they lost – Five matches all year, four matches all year, and they got three thirds. Yeah, I mean they go they go in undefeated for first in the prelims in first place, like by by heaps, and then lose that semi final match. I mean I yeah. feel for Dave, you know that's just like that's really hard for the boys, you know, because you know they they're just such a great team, but it just shows you just how t- how tight it is and that's awesome for the spectators that's awesome for all the teams everyone's got to go back and train harder and harder and harder you know, which means the next event's going to be even better yeah and there's nothing worse than than having an event where it's basically everyone playing for for third place when you go oh these yeah, teams absolutely. are going to win so it's yeah, yeah. it's really is a good uh it, it's good it's it's what you want in yeah. any kind of sport is is having absolutely and look la- last year was the first time in SWAT's history, they haven't won an event all year. That's the first time. Yeah, that's... So, I mean, Ringo was the other day going, oh, it was a while, we got a few seconds, we couldn't win. But, yeah, we did win a couple of events. So, they've won an event every year. First time last year, and that just shows you how hard it is. With all the input, all the talent on that team, nothing's a given. Nothing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, and I, and I know the SWAT guys, mate, they train really hard. They're probably one of the hardest training teams in the league right now. And they have been they've, consistently for the last two years, but it's yeah, it's just it's just that close. Mm. Oh yeah, but you know, but it, you know, not taking away, 
Um, that just shows you, you know, for teams like Eskimo Brothers and Eskimo Nation, just, you know, how good what they've done is and how well they played on that day. It's credit to them. You know, Christ, I feel, I feel for Crisis, mate. They finished that last event in fifth place and they were just, they lost, what, six points in the prelims? Five points in the prelims? Yeah, they were they were steamrolling through and then just just couldn't couldn't mm. put it together in the finals. It's mm. uh well I I did have a chat with Hunter. Uh, it'll be episode four. It hasn't come out at the time yep. of this recording, but uh yeah no we did talk about that. Um, you know just that they've got a lot to work on, but but something else that that it's good to see in the league now with with those and with their Eskimo brothers is uh. You know the teams that don't get to train together. Um, it's just the talent they can. You can put all that talent together, and they're actually getting results now. Whereas it seemed like back in the day, you yeah, but I mean, get that. It's good. Oh, well, I think that's the big thing too. With the, you know, I was talking to Dave Black uh, from SWAT about um, you know Captain of SWAT about Eskimo Nation. I said, don't take it too hard. I mean, because you know the guy's been training, but you know, look at the lineup that Eskimo Nation had. I mean, everybody on that team was a veteran. Everybody. I know it's a ring-together team, but, you know, you're talking, you know, uh, Brent Asker and, you know, Timmy, ST, you know, all these STK boys. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that was a deep roster, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, that's and that's why they're so hard. I mean, you know, every team has just got a really deep roster. The pro division's really bloody hard. And um, well, I think that's, that's what makes it interesting. That, yeah. that's it, 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 it enables the the players to sort of come from anywhere around the country and do well. Uh, I think the sport's mm. been around and the level has been around this high for that long that everyone's actually can just sort of walk on the field. You could put any other four decent players with them and they're gonna they're gonna do well. So it's uh, it's it's really good to see that the, the the talent is spread out so far across the country as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, only I'd like to hopefully see one day in the future is, you know, I mean, it was awesome having uh, the boys come up from South Australia and, uh, you know, come away with a second place. I and mean, hopefully we get some more SA ballers coming up, which would be which would be wonderful. Um, and then hopefully maybe one day in the future we've seen uh, the uh, Victorians get back into it. You know, back in – and this is the thing, you know, back in the day when I first started and for many years – both Victoria and South Australia had strong pro teams. You know, the Apparitions, the the Rat Packs. South Australia had, of course, the Mighty Hardline, um, Screaming Phantoms. You know, there was lots and lots of, um, uh, yeah, really, you know, strong pro teams. And it's just sad that, you know, they don't have that anymore, you know, like. Well, it's and it's going to take a long time. I remember, yeah. like, for a while, South Australia was just sort of doing their own thing. They had some strong teams, but they didn't really travel too much. But it seems like mm. uh, some of the those states have actually hit it pretty hard, and, and there's not that, that much paintball in general going on. But it, it sounds like it's still yeah. starting to build back up again. I think that... Yeah, well, I said, uh, you know, um, it's it's awesome that Havoc came came got second. They played really well, and that, and that was, you know, that's, to me, that's awesome. You know, like I said... Honestly, like if a, if a Victorian team came up in semi-pro or, or, or whatever and they did really well and came away with the bling, I'd be really stoked because, you know, the whole idea of Super 7s is to be national and, uh, you know, to put on a show for everybody so people can see what Australian paintball is all about. But uh, said, you know, the longer teams stay out of the 
Super Sevens, the harder it's going to be from the big competitive in it. And you know that's always the, that's always the, the challenge. But we do have a couple guys from Victoria come up occasionally to jump on uh, pro teams like the Eskimo Brothers. And uh, yeah, Sean Patrick, he's a great little player. Um, but yeah, just to be nice to see a few more of them coming up. You know, like just be great to see you know a strong Victorian paintball scene. Look at the population. Oh yeah, and there's a yeah seems like a decent uh yeah just a de- a decent uh group of a pool of players as well they they uh they should be able yeah. to put a team together hustle were coming out for quite a while and and uh you watching them get like stronger and stronger with each event so um yeah, it was really yeah, hard eh? they, those guys up. were awesome they had they had big hearts eh? and they did they got better every time but the hard thing for them was so did everybody else so yeah. that's they really struggled in the pro division it probably would have been better for a team like that to play semi-pro and, you know, win a few events and, you know, build up. And then there's the SE Cartel guys. They were doing really well. They were, they were doing really well in semi-pro and then they had one bad event and they pretty much packed up and didn't come back, which is unfortunate. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it'd be, yeah, it'd be just be good to, you know, have a have a, a bit more representation from down there. But, I mean, look, I, I can't really complain right now. Well, when we're running events, the, the top – Three divisions are, are booked out usually about a month to five weeks in advance because we're keeping them capped at this stage. So it's yeah, hard well, to be able to get them in. Uh, well, speaking about that and you know the super sevens and stuff, is there any is there anything that you sort of have planned for super sevens to to go bigger or anything like that? If if we ever if paintball ever we're allowed to play again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well I hope we are. I do. Look, I'm a big believer in the pro division being capped. And I'm also a big believer in, you know, teams, especially the teams that travel. For the guys that live in Sydney and that, whether we gave them four games or five games or 50 games would make no difference because they've got to get up in the morning, put on their shoes, drive to the field, unpack and play paintball, and they can play at the venue all the time. Uh, The big thing for me, you know, being a person who travels as a baller a lot as well, is I, I don't want someone, you know, coming from Victoria or South Australia or WA or New Zealand or around the world flying in so they can play four points or four matches. That, to me, is just really bad value for money. If that means that in the short term we can't run as many teams, but the quality is there rather than the quantity, um, then I'm going to go with that for the time being. But with the pro division, for me, it's always been about the story. And the, the, and it's, it's good that with the 10 teams, nine matches, everybody plays everybody. There's no good draw. There's no bad draw. Um, and for the fans that want to follow their team, they can follow the story of each match as it goes through for the whole weekend. And that, to me, seems to be working. The numbers that we've been getting on the webcast, um, I'm extremely happy with. And the comments from the fans – that are following the teams is really, really cool as well. So at this stage, even if we've got really a lot bigger, um, you know, we can maybe do something where semi-pro we run two fields. Um, uh, maybe we have talked about maybe moving the events to different weekends, so pro one weekend, semi-pro on another, amateur on another. But that does become a massive logistics nightmare for us. Okay. And it's all about also trying to keep the costs down. Where I mean, um, Super Sam is not exactly what we call a, 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 a huge profitable thing for us to do, but it is about for growing the sport and hopefully bring more bookings in, in the long run. Um, so, yeah, we've got to be mindful that 
we're not making money from it now. We don't want to throw even more money <laughs> at it. And if you know, if we go multiple fields and it's more referees, and then we've got to make sure we can maintain the quality with the referees that we've got if we expand. So I think in this stage, we don't need to be the be-all and the end-all for everybody. We don't have to provide an event for everybody that wants to play. Um, and we'll, we'll probably stay with the current formula that we've got at this stage. The you know, real difference we'll be doing is in continually trying to improve the webcast, bringing in more of those super-duper cameras that scan and that, and hopefully helping Adam out with a second or a third person to run the cameras because, I mean, you know, credit to Adam Connolly. Uh, what he's done with the webcast is just amazing for oh, yeah. um, our budget and, you know, the fact – I mean, you know, you've seen, you know, that poor bugger, he's, you know, that's why uh, he's so tired at the end of every day. I feel for me he hates doing it, I know. Um, but I really appreciate the fact that he does because, yeah, it's, it's trying to work all that stuff on his own and be the director of the show and everything else is just amazing. And, you know, you're, you're probably aware of it, but, you know, each Super Servants event, no matter how we try to cut, always ends up being weeks of work leading up to it. You think, oh, he's got oh, the yeah. venue there. We just turn up in the morning and click the switches on and we're ready to roll. But no, no, it's, uh, it's a lot of work uh, behind the scenes every single event to make it that it seems like it's yeah it's been like that since i was 16 the first super sevens event i ever worked i remember doing it was the first time i did back-to-back 13 hour days and i thought this is this is awesome yeah. like it's yeah, yeah the amount it's of work crazy to, to getting one of those yeah uh, put together the whole, the whole team changed. yeah the whole action team yeah the whole action team uh be it you know nathan dunn um you know Adam, obviously John. John hates running Super Sevens because it's like a 150-hour week for him. Uh, Dale, you know, everything's on the fly. You know, doing what we do, we probably should have twice as many staff. Um, but you know, we just we just got to do it as a, we're only a small business ourselves and just try and make it all work. You know, um, and I mean that's and it does help too having you know we do get a bit of support from some of our sponsors. You know, like Planet Eclipse and. Josh and HK Army and Tim Montressor and, and DLX and GOG and uh, obviously um, Brian Benini and Tim Summers from Push Paintball and Gladiate Air and all those guys, they all they all help in their own little way here and there, which just takes a little bit of the edge off the whole thing we've got to do. Uh, but it'd be nice if Coke's listening. We'd like to have Coke come on board and just, you know, give us a couple hundred thousand dollars so we can just actually <laughs> do it easier. But uh, yeah, in the short term, no, it's just a, it's a work of love, I suppose. Yeah, but and we do take the, pride. In it. It, it is it is a real sense of accomplishment at the end of each event. Going, yeah, it's done. We've put on a good show. Refs have done a great job. And oh, yeah, got to you know, obviously Yowie and all the Action Pro refs, man. I'm you know, I'm so happy with those guys. They you know, um, they all they all really take pride in what they're doing, and it shows. They really do try to ref to the best of their ability to, you know, they take pride in being good refs. Yeah, they do a great, great job. All those guys there are, yeah, all the the refs on all the fields are, you, you, yeah, you just don't hear many complaints whatsoever um, about no, anything they real, do. So. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. miss those days. <laughs> yeah, but it's good, I suppose. I'm up the top there now. I, I can't be blamed. <laughs> yeah, no. That's why I think I try to hide in the booth a bit. You know, I think it's better to go up there and be hacked. Yeah. It's better to go up there and be hacked on hard by you and Adam and anybody else who wants to give take the piss out of me than go down and face the music on the sideline if someone makes a bad call. 
So yeah, I might try to go up there. Plus, to get more food up there too, which is cool. Yeah. Well, the the web webcam webcast has been a, a great thing. It, it's it's really, you know, it is it's it's that chicken and egg sort of thing. It 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 had to sort of happen, and it, but but it happening has really grown the sport even more. It's been it's something mm-hmm. that. You know, all these people are able to, to go to their friends. Like I, I've taken it when I've to, you know, sitting in the lunchroom at work and saying, "This is what I used to do all, all the time on the weekends." Like this is what my friends yeah, are doing. Okay, right I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna ask you a question. Don't you spew that we weren't doing it when you and I were playing? God, oh, I wish I, I could. Definitely. Oh it's, man, I wish I had all my games recorded back in the day. God damn, it's just yeah, it's so yeah. Paintball's yeah, so much better now than it's ever been, eh? I mean, really, not just because of the webcast, the gear's better, everything's better. Well, I was looking at some old photos of you, and I, I, I thought, oh, someone would have had to take that photo, go down to the to the print shop, get it, get the photo printed, and then bring bring mm-hmm. it in like it. Just but these days, it's it's all there, and it's there forever. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. I mean, when we're playing NXL, uh, NXL, sorry, the NPPL, right? So I remember there's a couple of photos of me which I put up quite regularly, you know, with black shirt, you know, the old auto mag. When we're playing against bad company. And there was a f- professional photographer there, and they do. They take the photos, and then the next day you turn up, and they've got a big table there, and they're all blown up in, in a cardboard frame with, you know, San Diego NPPL 94, right? And I think they were like $25 a photo, and you'd be running up trying to see if there's, you know, because not everyone gets their photo taken, you know? And so it's like you'd be looking around trying to see it. And if you could, you'd, you'd pay. I, I would have paid 50 or 100 bucks for the photo. You know, it'd be cool. Here's, experience. Here's a picture of me playing in the pro division, MPPL in 94. And now they get all their games filmed for free. And it's part of the deal if you're playing in the pro division. Like, you know, I can go backwards and forwards. It's up there. You know, you go on the Super 7s at any time. And uh, you can, you know, with, with every event we've done since we've been doing the live stream, they're all there for all time. You can pick any date, any event. And watch the games over and over again. That would be awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, I'd pay 25 bucks for a photo. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and and that was rare. For, for like a coaching thing, you know, in between days of the events, it's, it'd be good just to, to have had that back in the day to say, you know, we've, we've got this team up tomorrow. We can go back and watch every single yeah. one of their points and work and, out what they're and doing. And the players do, eh, Scotty? They do. I mean, you know, they go back and they watch the games. They watch the games, that, who the, their games, see what they did wrong, and then they watch the teams they got to play the next day. That's a great tool. Um, yeah, again, you couldn't do that. Yeah, so, the, people don't know how lucky they've got it these days. Yeah, just oh, and the cost, man. I mean, Ringo was saying, I was listening to the, his one, you know, and it's like, give an example, you know, people forget, you know, we, we used to pay $250 for a box of paint. And, okay, I know back in the days of 10-man, um, we would shoot 30 boxes, you know. Like, I mean, there's 10 guys wearing the bill, but it was not, you know, you'd have a six $700 paint bill per player. That was just common. Um, I mean, you know, it was, it was our, but that's it, you know. And because yeah. our guns were so crappy, you'd just be shooting, da 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 driving something against someone on the other side of the field. The fields were really uneven and huge and bugger all bunkers some of the fields you go to there's like no preparation done for the venue terrible you're like oh this field's crap yeah we're gonna play hope we don't lose the toss oh we lost the toss okay well it's gonna be i I did we did a tournament down in south australia and they had this field literally one side had like four drums on it and the other side had drums and forts and netting (laughs) like shake off bunkers yeah with a hole cut in yeah and we lost the toss and it was like oh my god 
I was only in five, man, but, you know, there was four. There was literally four bunkers on the field for us at our side of the field. And this guy's just standing behind netting, just shooting through the hole, <laughs> looking at us. Da, 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 da. So. If only they had a race two format then. Oh, yeah. Swap ends now, <laughs> bitches. Your go. <laughs> Actually, that, that event was so bad. I remember we travelled all the way to this event and there was ended up being only five teams. And it was it was like two weeks before a Masters, and that weekend we had six teams training. And my guys really gave me heat, going, "Why did we travel seventeen hundred k's to play four other teams, of which one of them was from our field?" <laughs> and we 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 struggled. We really struggled. We nearly didn't make the finals. <laughs> Legit, there was five teams. We were to come last, and we just scraped in, and then we won the event. But uh, yeah, it was just. Yeah, we, uh, we just kept losing the toss on this field with the four bunkers on it. So I kept hitting that one side of the field. It was terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Well, uh, we're pretty much running out of time. But before we go, I just, you know, you you know everyone in the sport. So I just thought you'd be the best person to ask this question. Who do you think would be someone that would be a good fit from for the show? Someone that you think everyone might like to hear their story? Well, you've got Jamie. I know Ringo said Jamie Angus and Jonesy would be pretty cool. Um, I really think Adam Connolly. Seriously, like, you know, um, know, a lot of people don't realise Adam's actually won a World Cup, like pro division, export, you know, the the super unlimited, uncapped rate of fire, you know, pro division. And Adam won. I mean, remember he threw the trophy out at the field. I couldn't believe this huge export trophy. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, Adam, uh, when he came over to Australia, I mean, he won, what, 10, 11 events in a row. Didn't matter who he played with, he just won. He was – I think he's one of the greatest players to ever play the game, to be honest. Um, and, yeah, he's played a lot of paintball everywhere and done a lot. I, I think he'd be really, really interesting to hear from if you can yeah, get him awesome. to open up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I'll, I'll try my best. Yeah, you know, that or maybe, you know, Dave Hopkins, I reckon, would be pretty cool. What Dave's done in such a short period of time with the Expendables is nothing short of amazing as well yeah no it's yeah. uh always trying to reach out to the to the kiwis and get get some of them on but yeah dave and the expendables it's been a great story uh just what you know I was absolutely so plus much. he's an awesome guy so that doesn't yeah. hurt as well yeah no we've had some he's, good he's, he's always, he's always great to talk to yeah 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 no, so I'll, um yeah my best that'd be my two suggestions yeah awesome all right well, thank you. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for no giving up your time, Mike, and sitting down with us. And uh, let's hope that no, we... Can I just say one thing too, mate, everybody yeah, in the paintball industry, um, uh, just everybody be safe, I suppose. We're going through a very difficult time. Um, so is everybody inside and outside the paintball industry. And hopefully uh, we can get on top of this uh, terrible situation sometime in the very near future. We can get all back together and start trying to kill each other on the field. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I think so, I'll definitely yeah, just be, be safe. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back on the field once it's all once it's all open. Oh, trying to support yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just uh, everyone be safe. Yeah, you too, and I hope uh, you take care, mate. Hope you guys are doing well, and uh, yeah, that you know if there's anything that the field needs or anything, you can always shout out, and uh, I'm sure there'll be thousands of people willing to help. Uh, we, we have, I mean, I've got to say, it's been very humbling. Uh, I've had so many people messaging me going, oh, you know, if you need anything, Zach, you need anything. It's really wonderful. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I said, I just, I just keep saying to everybody, look, just be safe, and I just hope to see you again when we uh, when we do reopen, like everybody else. Yeah, because that's the most no, important thing right now. Lives come first, so. Yeah, that's it. We'll yeah. we'll get. To, I'm sure we'll be out there on the field before we know it. Uh, yeah, it'll uh. Hope so. It'll just be a distant distant memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 2020. Forget it. Bring back 2019. Yeah. <laughs> All right, all right well, buddy. Uh, all the best. Thanks for dropping in. I'll, I'll speak to you soon. All right, mate. So. Once again, I'd just like to say a huge thanks to everyone for checking out this show. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, don't forget to drop us a like and share the podcast around. You can catch the podcast on Anchor or any other podcast app that you use. If you can't find it on the one you normally listen to, just let me know and I'll try and add it there. We're also on YouTube. I post up the video about a day after the podcast launches and then two days after we're up on Facebook as well for all the people that like to get their audio through Facebook. Well, thanks once again to Mike and thanks everyone for listening. This is Down Under Paintball. I'm Scott. We'll see you next time.